Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope that you will visit our website at gbcakron.org or hit the link in our bio. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to let us know by leaving us a five-star review wherever you're listening. Also, if you'd like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Good morning again. Listen, it's uh, still a brand new year. I know we're towards the end of a of the first month. Can you believe that? Like four weeks in this year done. We only got 48 weeks left in this year. That's it. That's all we got left to get it figured out and get it right before the Lord. I hope that encourages you. It's not meant to discourage you, you know? Uh, we've, been, we've been talking about um, this verse and, and been looking at this verse every week, uh, Numbers chapter 6. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Wouldn't you like to have that this year? I don't know anybody that doesn't want to live under that type of knowledge, that type of experience that says, you know what, I have God's favor on my life. I have God's smile. I have God's peace on my life. And, and we've been talking about the fact that uh, to, to, to obtain this, listen, it has nothing to do with God's love for you. God loves you, right? I mean, we, you know that, right? God loves you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God just loves you. But we don't all experience the favor of God or the smile of God in our life. Just as, a, just as our children... Uh, can do things. Listen, we always love our children, or at least we should, right? We, we always love them, but there are times that, that we smile upon them because they're behaving in such a way that, that not only do they have our love, they, we, we have this deep appreciation for who they are and what they're doing, and we smile upon them. And that's what God can do for us, that's what this verse is talking about, that we can live our lives in such a way that God does more than just love us. He, he's, his favor rests on us because we are living our life in such a way that he looks on us and he smiles on us. Jason introduced a verse to us a moment ago. I really appreciate him bringing that up and working it into our, our, our singing this morning. But it was Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Wow, do you believe that? You believe that you can find God in the circumstances of your life. I mean, we're at church, we're all going to say yes to that. But I mean, practically, do you really believe that if you seek God with your whole heart, that you'll find him active, present in your life? And if that's really true, how do we do that? I mean, how do we seek the Lord? 
there's, there's this thing that happens throughout scriptures. We, we find it over and over again, and it, it, it's, I, I just call it the chase that leads to a chase. So I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack all of this this morning, but basically throughout scripture, what we find is that God chases people. He chases them. He wants to have a relationship with people. He wants to have a relationship with you. So it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in this room or if you're watching online, what you and I need to know is that God chases us. He chases us. But that chase should lead to another chase. And that would be us chasing him. Okay? So uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. In Jeremiah 31, There's a verse that says, the Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. In other words, God says, I'm chasing you. I am chasing you. I am drawing you to myself by loving you with an unfailing love. I am chasing you. But then if we read in the New Testament in James 4.8, It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So now we see the table has turned, and God says, not only have I been chasing you, but you know what? If you chase me, I'll draw near to you. Now, I want you to think about this with me for for, for just a moment. Every healthy relationship we have in life involves a mutual chase, okay? Uh, Think of of, of a... of a, of, a, of a man who's, who's, who desires and, and loves a woman and he's interested, so he, he chases her, okay, in a healthy way, not in a criminal activity kind of way. In a healthy way, he's, he's chasing her for her affection. He loves her. He wants to provide for her, and, and so he chases her. But in a healthy relationship, at some point, she will chase back. If she doesn't, it's either just an acquaintance or stalking. (laughs) Is that not right? That's the way it works. Every healthy relationship has some mutual chasing in it. And this is true in our relationship with the Lord. He chases us. There are times, without a doubt, God chases us. He gets our attention. He does something in life to, to rattle us, to, let, to remind us that he's there, that he loves us. But in a healthy relationship, there are times we chase him back. Where he's not the one that's necessarily hunting us down, we're hunting him down. Because we love him. And we want to know him better. And if you and I, if we want to experience the favor of God in our life, if you and I, we want to experience the smile of God in our life, if if we want to experience the peace of God in our lives, then then we have to accept this, this reality that there should be some mutual chasing going on. It can't all be on God. It can't, we can't look at, at, at God and say, okay, God, it's up to you to convince me how much you love me. No, there must be moments where we say, God, I love you. I love you. And I'm chasing you to let you know that I love you. 
There's a really good biblical example of this in the Old Testament, a guy named Jacob. And I don't have time to to go back and unpack all of Jacob's life this morning. But Jacob, let me just say, basically, Jacob created a mess of his life. Relationally, he couldn't hardly get along with anyone. And it started young in life, but he destroyed his relationships that he had with his brother, with his father, uh, with his mom. He had strained relationships with everyone, even his wives. Well, that's part of the problem. He had more than one. That's going to create a strain right there. But, but he, he just couldn't get along with anybody. And it finally all caught up with him. And, and he's, he's, without giving too much backstory, he's trying to return home to, to his native land. His brother, who he horribly cheated out of, uh, of wealth and a blessing and all this kind of stuff. Brother hears that, that Jacob is coming back. And, and Jacob finds out that Esau, that's his brother's name, is going to greet him. And Jacob believes that his brother is coming to kill him. And so Jacob does, the only thing he knows to do is divide his, his wealth and his family up. And he sends some in one direction and some in another. And now all of a sudden he's, he's by himself. He's by himself. And it's here that something unique happens to Jacob. This is what God's word says. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now let me ask you a question. If you thought the world was mad at you and someone was coming after you and you sent everyone away and in the middle of the night someone jumped you, who would you think it is? I would think it's the guy that's coming to kill me. I think that's what happened with Jacob. I think Jacob thought, my brother has found me. And he's fighting for his life. But the Bible goes on to tell us, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's all alone in the camp. This man jumps him and begins to attack him. I think he thinks it's Esau at first. But as the fight goes on, he begins to realize he's not wrestling with his brother. He's wrestling with God. And that's who the man is. The man is, is, it's God who has come to confront Jacob and Jacob finds himself wrestling with God. God has chased Jacob to the place where he's all alone. And that's where God meets him. But in the midst of this wrestling match, Jacob realizing who he's wrestling with and the, the man, God, is trying to leave, and Jacob will not let him go. Now Jacob is chasing God. You see the difference? You see what's going on? And when Jacob says to God, no, you can't leave until you bless me, what is he saying? He's saying, you can't leave 
until you change me. Don't leave me like you found me. Don't leave me like you found me. See, he's chasing God. And that's what happens to all of us in one sense or another is, is that there are times in life where God chases us and, and we need him to chase us. We need to be caught by him. We need to be captured by him. And, and, and we need something to rattle our cage. But when we realize it's a God moment, then it needs to change. And it's not just God chase me. Oh, God, no, I need you. Now, God, I'm not going to let go of you. Is this making sense? And, and, and so that's what needs to happen to us in our life. Now, listen, God, God could have tied Jacob up in a knot and left him there on the ground. I mean, he could have destroyed Jacob in a wrestling match. But God's not out to destroy us. He's out to change us. And that change happens not just when he chases us, but we chase him. And so I want us to think about what it means to chase the Lord. How, how do we do that? I mean, that verse said, you will seek me with your, and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Well, how do we do that? How do we even seek God? How does that happen? And so I think there's some practical things that you and I can do that God's word tells us so that you and I know how we can chase God, how we chase him now. Here's the first thing that you and I have to do. We have to be honest with God first about our sin. Now listen, I realize that some of you sitting here right now and some of you watching online right now, you're, you're already a believer. You already believe in Jesus. You've already called out to Jesus. You, 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 would, you would say what, what the Bible calls that you're saved because you have done that. But can I tell you something? Never, never, never do humans stop being honest about their sin. And if we do stop being honest about our sin, we are no longer chasing God. We're just not. Every person, whether they're saved or not saved, using those biblical terms, must always be talking to God about their sin and being honest with him about what's going on in their life that they know is offensive to the Lord. Now, if you say, well, I don't really know what my sin is, you know what? That's a great way to have a conversation with the Lord. Just ask him. He'll tell you. I hear people say all the time, I would love to hear God speak to me. Easy, ask him what your sin is. He loves to talk about that. Because he wants to change us. Not because he's angry at us. Not because, not because he's, he's trying to harm us or hurt us. He, he wants to change us. And so we have to be honest with God about our sin. Stop making excuses for it. Stop rationalizing it. Stop saying it's someone else's fault. If, if somebody else had been better, I'd be better. It's, it's, it's not the blame game. It is, it is saying, no, God, I am this way. You're right. I'm going to be honest with you about my sin. This is one way we chase 
God. Look at what 1 John 1, 8 says. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So I know all of us sitting here and probably many watching online would say, listen, I know enough to say that I'm not sinless. I'm sure I have sin, but that's the problem. You're not even willing to admit what it is or dig deep enough into ourselves to specifically call it out. Oh, I know I'm a sinner. Really? Okay, which ones? Which ones? Because that's when we're being honest with ourselves. This, this idea of just saying, I generally have sin in my life, that means nothing spiritually. That means nothing. What, what specifically are you doing in your life that you know offends God? Talk about that with the Lord. That's what it means to seek him. And if we don't do that, we're lying to ourselves. The greatest lie in the world is the lie we tell ourselves. That's the greatest lie. 1 John 1.10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. So not only, not only do we lie to ourselves when we're not being specific about our sin, we're actually looking at God and saying, God, you're a liar too. That's not a problem in my life. In fact, it is so much not a problem that I don't even know what it is. God, I, that, that's not a problem in my life. Listen, when we start doing that, we, we, we're not chasing God. We may be playing a religious game, and God may be chasing us, but there's no mutual chase happening. We have to talk to the Lord about our sins. And we have to confess them. We have to admit them. We have to be honest with him about it. Thank goodness there's a verse squeezed in between 1 John 1.8 and 1 John 1.10. It's 1 John 1.9. Look at what it says. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, change us from all wickedness. I heard a story one time about King Frederick. King Frederick uh, was a king in Prussia, which is now modern-day Germany. And the story goes that one day, this probably happened like in the 14th, 15th century, one day when he was, he, he visited one of the cities there and he was walking through a prison there in the city. And as he was walking through the prison, all the prisoners inside the, their, their cells were yelling at King Frederick saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, let me out, I'm innocent, I didn't do anything wrong. And then all of a sudden he came up on one prisoner who was sitting in the corner of his cell. He wasn't shouting anything, he just had his head down and he was just sitting there. And the king walked up to him and he said, why are you here in jail? And he said, I'm here for theft and robbery. And the king said, did you do it? And he said, yes, I did. I did do it. I deserve to be here. And the king said, let this guilty man free so he will not corrupt all these innocent people. <laughs> Same holds true for us. Listen, if we want to be free, comes by admitting our guilt. That's how you're set free with the Lord. And this is how we chase him. God, this is my sin. This is me. I do lust. I do lie. 
Lord, I'm afraid to talk to others about you. Lord, I am not generous. I'm selfish. Lord, I'm not truthful. Lord, I, I have hateful thoughts. Sometimes, Lord, I say hateful things. Sometimes, Lord, I even do hateful things. We got to talk about that stuff. That's how we chase God. That's how he knows we love him. By chasing him back and being honest with ourselves and with him about our sin. But not only do we have to be honest about our sin, we have to be honest about our bitterness. We have to be honest about our bitterness primarily towards God. We don't talk a lot about this in church, but bitterness can be the greatest barrier we have in our life to chasing God. Why? Because what would be the point of chasing a God who let this into your life? He let cancer into your life. He let a failed marriage into your life. He, he, he let betrayal into your life. He, he let disappointment in your life. He let a failure in your life. Why would I want to chase a God who lets bad things happen to me? That's called bitterness. And we got to be honest to God about that. God, I, I need to talk to you about things I don't understand. I need to talk to you about the things that have hurt me in my life. And Lord, I, to the best of my ability, want to understand why. And I want you to know up front, we may not always get the answers we want. But there was a guy in the Bible who had this problem. He was extremely bitter towards the Lord. The Lord allowed some horrible thing to happen, not only to him, but to his nation. This guy's name was Jeremiah, and he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he served the Lord during a time when Israel was defeated. And not only were they defeated, many were taken captive, including Jeremiah. And they were migrated out of Israel into another place. And this greatly upset Jeremiah. And he wrote a book about it. We call that book Lamentations. We don't spend a lot of time in Lamentations. Because it's a spewing of bitterness. Let me tell you what, what Jeremiah wrote. Look at this. This is, Jer this is Lamentations uh, chapter 3, 2 through 25. I've kind of shortened it a little bit. You're going to get the gist. But look at what it says. He has led me into darkness. Jeremiah's talking about God. He has led me into darkness. He has turned his hand against me. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has drawn his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. Peace has been stripped. Away, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Look at what he says. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. 
His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. To those who what? Search for him. Jeremiah, in the midst of his bitterness, listen, he was honest with God. God, I don't know what you're doing to me. I don't know why I'm being treated this way. I don't know why you've allowed me to lose what I've lost. But God, when I think of you, your mercies are new every day. Your mercies are new every day. Folks, listen to me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with complaining to God. We just can't complain about God. That's the difference. And we've got to be honest about our bitterness. And when we do that, when we go to God with the tough things that have happened in life, there's proof to God we're chasing him. Jeremiah, in his bitterness, is turning to God. What greater proof is there? And you and I must do the same. If we're going to chase God, we have to be honest about our sin, but we also have to be honest about our bitterness, the things that have happened to us in life that have hurt us. And we don't understand why, but we take it to God, we tell him how we feel, and then we say, but God, I know you're good. I know you are even though I don't understand why this has happened. That is proof that we are chasing God. There's another thing that you and I can do to chase the Lord, and that is choose to obey God in faith. Obedience is always a good way to chase God. When God speaks to us and says, this is what I want you to do, or this is what I want you to stop doing, that we obey that, is proof that we're chasing to know him. Every time we don't understand what God is asking us to do, or maybe we understand it, but we don't think it's the most efficient way to do it, or maybe we just don't think it'll work. We don't think that's gonna work in our situation. And God keeps saying, just obey me, just obey me. When we obey him in those moments, we're chasing him. We're letting him know that we love him and we want to be near him. In John 15, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. It's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you Friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's an interesting word, this word friend that Jesus keeps using in these phrases. It's, it's a picture of a king who has friends. The king, in other words, they're, they're not just subjects under his rule. The king has friends. Now then, The friends are not equal with the king, right? I mean, he's still their king, but they're friends. And and so those friends of the king, they still obey the king, 
But it's not, it's not out of fear or dread or authority. It's out of the love that comes from friendship. Is this making sense? And so, and so what happens is Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, listen, I want to be your friend. But you and I should never think that places us on equal territory with him. He's saying, he's saying I, I, you know, I'm not here just to boss you around because I have the authority to boss you around. I love you. I think you love me. I'm your king. But our relationship's a little deeper than that. We're friends. And so there's this mutual respect. Knowing each other's place, obeying the king, not out of fear, but out of that love that comes from being friends with the king. Jesus goes on to talk a little bit more about it in John 15. He goes on to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He chased us and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. That's, you know what? If if you were going to take all the commands of Scripture and and press them down into one command for the way that we're supposed to treat each other, it is love one another. That's it, love one another. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Not because you're afraid of me, but because we're friends. And you know who I am, and I know who you are. Now go love one another. When we, when we think about God asking us to obey him, a lot of times we might think of, of some really big, magnificent thing that God wants us to do. And that might happen a couple of times, maybe even a few times in life. Where God wants us to take a big stand on something, uh, obey him in a big way. But you know what? Most of the time, he's calling us to small acts of obedience. Things like tell the truth. Things like forgive someone. Things like share. Things like serve one another. Not big, not some big thing that happens out in the world, but something really small. Like, like taking a winter care kit and pulling up at a red light and some guy holding his hand out for money. What a small thing. It's not huge. No one's going to know. It's not going to make the headlines. Oh, but to obey the Lord in that. It's a small thing. But it proves we're chasing him. You know, it proves, it proves we want to be with him. Does this make sense? That's all he's asking. That's all he's asking of us, and that's how we prove to ourselves that we're chasing God. I'm just going to love the people around me like he's asked me to love them. I'm going I'm to jump in and step in and obey the Lord. It proves we're chasing the Lord. 
God is pleased when we do the small things out of loving obedience to him. And it proves we're chasing him. There's a third thing that you and I can do, and that is value what God values. See, to chase God, we sometimes must, well, not sometimes, we must value what God values. The more we chase God, the more we will care about what he cares about. This happens to people. I mean, it, we, we find this in Scripture, that, that someone who chases after God, all of a sudden, their priorities change. And, and what, what is valuable to the Lord becomes valuable to them, and they begin to chase that value in their life. Look at what Paul wrote. He, he, this, he, he was explaining this transformation that happened in him and, and how he cares about something now that he didn't used to care about. And that, that happened because he was chasing God. Look at what he says. Paul wrote, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. What is Paul talking about? Paul says, I care about the church. I care about the people of the church. I, I have a jealousy and a longing to keep you pure like never before. You know what? This is the same guy that was killing people in the church several years earlier. See the transformation? His values changed. And that happens to us when we chase the Lord. Well, our values change. We begin to care about things that we didn't used to care about. That's a normal progression of chasing God. David said the same thing in Psalm 69. He says, passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. David says, David says, listen, I, I now care about what the Lord cares about. I care about it so much that when they curse the Lord, I feel like they're cursing me. That's how much his values changed. And that's a normal progression that should be happening in our lives when we're chasing the Lord. What does God value the most? I mean, if, 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 we could, if we could put on a list, here's the top of what God values the most. I think it's found in 2 Peter 3, 9. Look at what God's word says. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God cares about people coming into relationship with him. He wants people to repent of their sins and come to him. That's what he cares about. Now then, do we care about it? Because if we don't really care about it, it proves we're not really chasing God. I know at church we kind of give this a lot of lip service, but let's be honest. Do we really care about this? Don't raise your hand. But I mean, when's the last time you shared your faith with someone? Was it this past week? What about this month? In 2024, have you shared your faith with anyone this month? 
What about the second half of 2023? Just those last six months. We talk about it, but not many of us do it. And it reveals we're not really chasing the Lord that much. Now, there's other ways that we can contribute to the kingdom being spread. Don't get me wrong. But we can't get away from the personal responsibility that we all have to share our faith at opportune times, at appropriate times, in the relationships that God has placed around us. I mean, it could be as simple as, again, a winter care kit. That could be opening the door to share your faith with someone. It could be going to Guatemala, sharing your faith with someone there. Could be at lunch today. The question is, do we really value it? And that becomes the point. When we're chasing God, what he values is what we begin to value. And so it's a quick self-evaluation tool. We can look at ourselves and say, you know, do I really care about what God cares about? I mean, when's the last time you brought anyone to church with you? Or to any church activity with you? When's the last time you invited them? See, I could go on. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty, but dang, I feel guilty. Do you see what I'm saying? Do we really care about that? Well, when we chase God, we do. We do care about it. And that's what happens to us. And it should be normal. The last thing that I would point out about chasing God is that one way we can do it is to desire to know God in every circumstance. See, life is filled with all kinds of changing circumstances. Isn't that true? I mean, we grow from children to teens to young adult to middle age to seniors. And, and the, the, the idea is, is that we desire to know God in every season and every stage of life. But that we would know God as a single person, that we would know God as a married person, that we would know God as a career person, that we would know God as a student, that we would know God in our successes, that we would know God in our failures, that we would know God in every circumstance. Because he's in every circumstance. And so, and so to chase him would mean I want to know God in what I'm going through right now in my life. I want to know him. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10, and I'm, I'm reading a different version of the Bible here. This is it's called the Amplified Version. Uh, and, and if you don't have an Amplified Version, uh, you can find it online. It's, it's, it's easy. But look, look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Oh, that's someone chasing God. You know, recently, um, uh, <laughs> a person I admire recently retired from work. His name was Nick Saban. Some of you may have heard of that guy. Nick Saban had a process. That's what he called it. He called it the process. 
one of the most successful coaches in NCAA history, but he always referred to the process. And people would ask him, what is the process? What is that? What do you mean? Explain to us the process. And people wanted like, you know, give us the five steps of the process so I can implement those processes, that, those five steps in my program and we can begin to do the five things that you're doing. But, but Nick Saban in an interview revealed the process is not five steps. This is what he said. He said, the chase to be great is greater than capturing it. We have to love the chase. We have to love chasing God. Because we'll never capture him. He's too big to be captured. He's too big to hold in a moment. He's too big to wrap our minds around. He's too big uh, 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 for an emotion we might experience. He's too big. We can't capture him. We've got to love the chase of him. And the truth of the matter is, we chase God as much or as little as we want to. Period. That's it. If you and I want more of God, all we have to do is chase him. But it boils right down to we don't want more of God. I mean, we love it when God chases us. But do we love chasing him? I I came across somebody, I don't even know who said this, but basically uh, the the gist of what they said was is is, uh, I I don't, I, I don't chase, I don't invest time chasing blessings. I chase God and the blessings chase me. But how do you know if you're chasing God? Well, talk about your sin. Talk about your bitterness. Talk about these things that we've been looking at this morning. Valuing what God values, obeying him, desiring to know him in every circumstance. This is how we know if we're chasing God. Jeremiah 29, 13. We started this this day. Jason read this verse. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. Well, that was Jeremiah, the guy that wrote Lamentations. He wrote this too. Folks, God wants to be known right where you are. He wants us to chase him in every circumstance of our life, whether you're having a good week, a bad week, whether you're experiencing success or failure, whether, whether, whether you were a good person or a bad person, whatever your evaluation of whoever you think you are, God simply desires that you chase him. And he says, you know what? You'll find me. You'll find me.